Welcome to the State of Men. I'm Aiden Dowling. I'm Mike Watts. In today's episode, we have a very special guest, athlete, and a great friend of mine, Chris Mosier, whom we will introduce you all to shortly. So uh, stay tuned. We are going to keep Chris at bay. Uh, but before this epic interview, we all need to welcome Mike to Miami. Welcome <laughs> to Miami, my friend. Thank you. I just spit all over that myself. Um, great. <laughs> thanks, Aiden. It has been... An adventure, to say the least, I would say. The travel-wise was pretty smooth. Getting down here, there's boxes. There is just like, I'm literally in a corner of my house because on this side over here, blankets, there's just everything is stacked up. So unloading. So uh, Chris, I just moved from Maine to Miami. And uh, for those, you know, because you asked this question before we started recording. But basically, yeah. So I we got here a week ago almost and then had my birthday which was great. Um, Aiden sent me this amazing present. It's a teddy bear. And then he recorded a poem. And then, you know, he had two things. I wish I would have brought it, but he, he did a oh, Build-A-Bear. And then I think I have your, I have the birth certificate right here from Build-A-Bear. Yes. See, you know, named Palm. And then my kids have been obsessed with it. So they were playing with it. And then my youngest three-year-old peed on it <laughs> yesterday. Um, so we had to stick it in the laundry. It lasted three It still days. works. It, it still works. It came out of the dryer this morning, and it still works. So uh, high quality. You know, you know, you think you don't realize what you're paying for. You know, and then you, you realize, like, you know what? This is you worth don't. it because clearly yeah, you can get pissed on and uh, <laughs> still work. So. It is. It still works. It's been uh, huge new beginnings. And we showed up right at the beginning of the Jewish New Year. And so our neighbors are Jewish and they're walking around. They're like, yeah, we'll, we won't be around for the next couple of days. But like next week, we'll be back around. You can see us and hang out. So it's cool to just, um, you know, meet the new neighbors and just be around to be like, we're not in a 41st floor of a building anymore. We're actually like mm. on the ground. And uh, yeah. And then Kate's grandmother passed away this morning. And we were dropping the kids off on their first day of school. And as we're getting out of the car, we get the text message. We knew she was going to pass. It's been kind of on for a couple of months, but now it's been, uh, it was like, we're walking our kid into school. And then Kate's grandmother died this morning at eight eleven, And yeah, it's, so we're going to go see her, you know, the celebration of life this weekend in Buffalo. And Oh, so you have to go up there this weekend. Yeah. We're going to fly Friday. That makes sense. The yeah. celebration is Saturday. And then um, she was like, the mayor of the town at once like it's this small ski community wow. like holiday valley it's in ellicottville new york and this small little community and so we're all just gonna ride up there or fly up there hang out on saturday and come back on sunday so there you just go. to like chill with everybody so yeah it's been huge ups and roller coasters but <laughs> it's been pretty good so far i think the best part about the gift that i mailed you was that like you, I, I had to, I waited anxiously, which I was like, okay, he's going to get it. It's going to be great. I can't wait for his response. And then, um, you didn't say anything the whole night. And then the so next I, morning you messaged me on Voxer like, oh, by the way, got your gift. Thanks. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Okay. I guess you didn't was, like my poem. I showed up on the fourth. So my birthday was September 4th and I showed up off the auto train and drove from Orlando to Miami. And then I get there and I'm like, there's this present and we're th like the movers just dropped all the stuff off. I show up right after the movers leave. I walk into our house and I'm completely overwhelmed. I'm like, what is happening? 
so I later in the day I was like, okay, there's this box with no return address on it whatsoever, just my name. I'm like, open it. I'm like, it's a bear. It had balloons. I drew balloons on it. I mean, it was clear. Yeah, I saw that the it was a Birthday gift. But I didn't know. I understood that. I didn't know who it was from. So I open it. And I'm like, there's a bear. And then it, there's like a note that says, here you go from Aiden. I'm like, why did he mail me a stuffed animal? So I just put it to the side. And then I was this. And I was You're like, such a Virgo. You need like <laughs> the clear directional instructions of what, like, take bear out, hit bear's left hand, then proceed to hit bear's right hand. Smile, laugh, text Aiden, thank you. Like, that's yeah, what I'm going to do. So I texted year. you and I'm like, thanks for the bear. Still, I'm like, why the hell would he mail me a stuffed animal? And I was like, don't, at this point, for kids, for people with children, or if you're an aunt or an uncle, and there's more than one kid, you just get them the same thing regardless of their age. Like with our kids, they fight over the toy. I'm like, great. There's one bear. The kids are going to fight over it if they see it, even though it's technically mine. But the Penelope takes the bear and starts pushing it. And she's like, oh, it makes noise. Because you asked me, did I get the poem? So I go back through the box. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, there's no poem in here. I don't know what he's talking about. And then Penelope's like, oh, I finally get it. And now I understand. Like you put a lot of time and effort into that. So I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So. But and thank you, Aiden. On, so yeah. clearly Ruby just gives zero uh, shits about my <laughs> she, zero shits and plenty of piss about my yeah, she, uh, efforts. So And she was very upset about peeing on the bear. But it's the funny joke I'm this sure morning. The girls were just like, it works, Dada. It still works. I'm like, yep. That's so. right. I was and I was said that that bear is resilient, just like the sender. So that's uh, true. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, now that you've heard, heard the um, peeing on the bear story, and Mike is welcome to Miami, let's welcome Chris. Um, it, so many amazing things. I'll read the professionalness first, and then I'll go off on my own tangent of love for Chris. Uh, Chris Mosher is the first transgender athlete to represent the United States in men's international competition, first transgender athlete in the ESPN body issue, and first transgender athlete sponsored by Nike. In 2020, he became the First transgender athlete to qualify for the Olympic trials in the gender they identify as. He's the executive producer of the Hulu documentary, Changing the Game, which is out right now. You should go and watch it. Uh, Chris's website, transathlete.com, is the go-to source for information about transgender athletes in sports. He became one of the leading grassroots organizers against the current wave of anti-trans legislation across the United States, especially here in Texas currently, and or actually not anymore. Thank God. And when not fighting the good fight, he mentors transgender and non-binary athletes across the world in hopes that he can they can live by his motto of be who you needed when you were younger. I first heard of Chris when I saw him running on the Nike commercial in 2016. And I specifically remember watching it like someone had shared it, who shared it, who shared it. And I like got all teary eyed and was like so it was just like a moment in my transgender history of like, like that's us, like Nike, like I'm getting kind of emotional now, like Nike acknowledged us as human beings. And, and it just, I mean, it just really moved me to look up Chris and find out who this guy was, um, be his friend. If I could, I was successful. So I feel like that was a win <laughs> in my book. Um, but yeah, I'm just so excited to have you on, Chris. Excited for you to meet Mike. Um, and yeah, just thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Aiden. I remember you made a video about the Nike yes. ad. And that was, uh, that was I knew of you before that, but that was one of my moments of being like, 
oh, I've made it. Like I have a Nike ad and Aiden made a video about me. So, <laughs> so I think awesome. we were both, we were both successful in the, in the friendship part, but uh, Mike, it's really nice to meet you and, and to become a, a new friend of yours as well. That's yeah, I appreciate it. And you can be you update your professional bio the first guest on the state of men to go with all your friends. <laughs> I like seven firsts. I am a man of many firsts. I will so, add it on there. <laughs> that's awesome. I just have a question regarding Nike sponsorships. Because I, I jumps right into it, this guy. He's just like, listen, I need to get the deal. What well, we're talking on? about Nike, so we're just gonna flow with it. Um, mm -hmm. how does it work from a sponsor deal with Nike? Like, is it, I'm just always curious from a business perspective, like, is it something they're on like a retainer with you from that? Is it based off performance? I know you can't share specifics of everything, but just, is it like you get first place at contests? Do they pay for travel things? I'm just curious from a sponsorship perspective. Yeah, so maybe there are different models. Uh, mine is a is a yearly contract with them that I'm you know wearing all of their items. They provide me with my gear for training and racing, and I do engagements with them. Uh, and there are some other specifics that uh, you know that are not Can't not discussable. Can you can you hold up your contract so we can read it line by line? <laughs> uh, no, I could show you uh, anywhere else in this room aside from right behind me is just littered with uh, boxes of, of Nike gear piles. That's of, of tough. So, That's yeah, so tough. Right. Just <laughs> always having to wear high quality Nike attire. I mean, that's shoes. And I mean, I, I, I don't know how you do it. You know, it's they, they better pay you really well. It's hard, but you know what? What I will say is, so Nike has been uh, a long-standing supporter of the LGBTQ inclusion movement in sports. And I actually, before I got sponsored by Nike in 2016, um, I had been working with them for several years on the LGBT Sports Coalition, which was a group of LGBTQ advocates that they brought together who were doing work to try to create safer spaces in sport. So probably from 2012 or 2013 was the first time that I was out at Nike headquarters working with other organizations under Nike's leadership, uh, and they were funding projects. So we were doing, um, one of my projects was the All 50 project, where we were trying to get trans-inclusive policies across all 50 states for the high school level. Um, ultimately, that wasn't a successful project. It was successful in some ways, but not universally. Uh, but Nike has long been putting money behind the LGBTQ plus community. So for me, you know, when it came time to be, uh, when I when I hit that level of profile of making Team USA, you know, I was really like, this makes a lot of sense. And Nike could be the first to sponsor a transgender person in sport. And I was really thrilled because they they have their Be True line, which is their LGBTQ plus line that they usually released during Pride in June. Um, the funds of that feed back into the movement. So they, they fund organizations doing work for the LGBTQ plus community, but they didn't bring me on as a be true athlete. They didn't put me specifically mm. as the mm. trans athlete. They brought me on, you know, in August as one of their athletes. And that to me was really powerful and really impactful because it highlights my athletic uh, self first. And I feel like so often, you know, in, and particularly for me, I, I made it a point to put my trans identity first and foremost in, in what I'm doing because I think representation is really powerful and I want people to see me as a trans athlete. But for them to bring me on as an athlete first who happens to be transgender, I think was even more powerful for the sports community because mm. it was just um, sort of, you know, a more level playing field for athletes 
and we all have diverse identities. And so I think that was just, you know, one of my favorite things about being sponsored by them. Yeah, no, that's cool. I didn't know that. And I think it's, it's like, they're not checking a box. It's like, oh, right. And he happens to be trans. How cool is that? Right. Um, And if you, uh, I'm sure that the Nike commercial is still somewhere on YouTube or on your website. Um, So you should definitely go watch it. um, Everyone who's listening or watching, because it's just, it's a very cool, it's very cool put together and just, uh, you know, it's like, it's a feel good, you know, it's like a stereotypical feel good Nike commercial of someone who has, you know, defeated the odds um, and come out strong, which is always like, again, a story that's just not told within the trans community. Usually it's highlighted on our pain and suffering, which is very valid. And it's cool to see a light in that too. Yeah. And what I love most about that is that it really is my story. You know, it's really my mm-hmm. words, my, um, you know, my thought process of going through transition. So it, it wasn't that I was an actor in a Nike commercial, right? It was, it was me, my story being highlighted on one of the biggest platforms in the sports world. So yeah, it's a, um, definitely is out there on YouTube. People should check it out. Yeah. So one question that we wanted to add, oh, sorry, Mark, Mike, did you want to say something? Well, uh, of course, I always want to say something. <laughs> Mike, you um, want it on this interview, man? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, you know, it's like... Uh, I blocked him out already. It's fine. You know, we're balancing the Aiden and Mike show. So it's the... Yes. But for how is it for you, like, talk, let's talk about you being in the public eye. Like, how, what is the ups and downs of that? You know, it's been a number of years now. Like, I'm sure you're able to handle things much differently now than back in 2015, 2016. Like, so talk about your evolution of just being in public. Yeah. So, I mean, initially, like, t- let's talk about coming out first, right? So coming out is a process for me to feel more comfortable in the world, but it really was also a process of getting the world acquainted with the person that I am and and setting up those spaces for me to be more comfortable. And in order to do that in sports, I really felt like I had to publicly declare my identity as a trans person and as a queer person so that I could use that to create uh, better spaces for, for trans and non-binary people in sport. And so... I knew in, in 2010, coming out was just a, a single time deal. Like you only come out once on the internet and then it is there forever. <laughs> and so I knew like I, I really had to weigh that before. And it was a year and a half of knowing my identity and not saying anything about it because I was terrified of what my future would look like because I didn't see an out athlete who, mm. who was going through that process. Mm. I didn't see a trans person playing sports and getting the media attention and trying to battle policies and things like that. So I had no idea of what to expect. I didn't know if I was prepared for it. And then it kind of just came to a breaking point of like, I have to do this because I can't imagine living my life anymore as the person, you know, pretending to be the person that people thought that I was. Mm. So in that coming out process, you know, every single article since 2010 has been transgender athlete, trans triathlete, you know, like things that are totally irrelevant to my trans identity have the headline of like, transgender man with a heart of gold runs around Manhattan to raise money for homeless youth, right? Like, why was that? Why was that part important? Mm -hmm. And so I struggled with that a lot. But, but then I also kind of came to this point where I was like, no, that that part is really important, because I'm not seeing people like me. Mm -hmm. I mean, Aiden, you were one of the very few trans guys that I had seen online, who was an adult who had a career who had a partner who, you know, like was at a place where it was 
more similar to me, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I wasn't seeing that in the world and there was very little representation in, in the sports world. And so, um, you know, in 2010, 11, 12, I didn't really have the tools to deal with it. Like I do now of being in the public eye, but I will say that the pushback that I've received has been pretty light compared to transgender women and, uh, trans feminine folks who want to play sports. And so mm. really in my process, I mean, I just inherited the big three of privilege. Like, you know, I'm perceived to be a straight white man. And so in sports, like, and and in the world, it it kind of doesn't get easier than that in terms of how people interact with me. And so I went from being a masculine presenting, you know, woman who never identified as a woman in a relationship with a woman uh, to being perceived as a straight white man. And in sports, you know, I think that people just thought that I wouldn't be a threat. I wouldn't be competitive you know, the, there was this idea that no one assigned female at birth could possibly be competitive with men. And so I just get a shrug and a, yeah, go out there, have fun, buddy. Like you're not going to be a threat anyway. Mm. And even making, you know, team USA six times now, um, every single time people are like, Hey, good job. You know, like the, the men in sports have been really accepting of me, you know, my teammates, my competitors and, and welcoming of me. And that's not the case with trans women. And so I, I say all that to say that my process of, of having to like deal with people being in the public eye has been not as, not as bad as, as some other trans folks that I've seen in the public eye, specifically trans women and spe- and even more specifically black trans women right. um, or trans women of color. And, you know, I've, I've just gained the tools and the thicker skin over time of, of realizing that other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And my life has been a lot happier since I've, since I've stuck to that motto that, that when people come to my page on social media or to my website to write me some hateful email or, you know, send me a hateful comment, it says more about them than it does about me. And when I was able to make that shift, which actually was around the time of the body issue of, of the Nike commercial in 2016, making Team USA, like that boost of my confidence really helped me to just decipher like, what is my own shit and what is other people's shit? And I'm not responsible for their shit. (laughs) Right. That's great. I feel like when, besides all of the privileges, right, those are kind of the top of why, because I experience the same thing. Like I don't get that much shit. Like I get guys who are like, you know, they see me at the gym or they see me in this magazine or whatever. And they're like, oh yeah. Oh cool. Hey, you know, your beard. Like they, they like, you know, pump me up, so to speak. Um, and I feel like because of that, and then also the fact that I, so because of that, it's like stepping into masculine spaces is like safe. Like it's fairly safe in a lot of ways. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think there's this like masculineness that's like, oh, well, like you do what you need to do and I'm going to do what I need to do. And if they cross paths, awesome. And if they don't, then like, okay, cool. You stay over there and I'm going to stay over here. You know what I mean? And like, we, they don't mesh ever. Um, and so it, have you found that it's like, cause what stood out the most in what you just said is that they didn't see you as a threat, meaning cis men, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, didn't see you as a threat. And it's, do you find that when you do beat, like, you know, if you come in first, second, third, like, and you're beating an, a slew of cis men, that they, do, do you find any, like, what happens then? How do they treat you then? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is the, 
sort of privilege that I have in navigating the world, not being, you know, consistently questioned on my gender identity at this point. And so uh, it, if people don't know who that I, who I am at a race, you know, I, I, I can't think of a single time that I've had somebody come up to me after a race and say something nasty to me um, mm -hmm. if, if I beat them. Uh, what has happened is when I've won races overall and when I've, you know, when I podiumed in any race that I've had people find me online afterwards and message me to say, hey, great job out there. You crushed it. You know, keep doing what you're doing. I, like, I had no idea who you were, but, you know, everything online about me says that I'm trans. So, <laughs> like, you find right. me on you find me on Instagram, you're going to know. Um so I've had that, you know, really positive experience of of that acceptance from people who I've been competing with, who've been on my team. Um, you know, what I the pushback that I do get sometimes is from cis women um, because of my advocacy for transgender women in in women's spaces, and so that's actually been the the pushback that I've gotten. But yeah, you know, and and I think about it like. So I'm an athlete. I mean, my clothes are body conscious, right? So there's that element. Plus, I when I was training for triathlons, I was in the pool, which is you you don't get more nude than that. And I'm at the locker room, you know, at changing in the in the men's locker room two or four times a day, depending on my workout schedule. You know, I was in the I was at the pool yesterday for the first time in two years. Um, you know, in my in my uh, swim briefs, and you know, thinking as I'm changing the locker room, like wow, this is an experience that I haven't had in, in two years. And it's making me think about, you know, things like you just mentioned, Aiden, and I feel relatively safe in those spaces. And, um, you know, I think it is that, that idea that, um, a lot of, a lot of cis men are navigating the world, just trying to deal with their own stuff and not really, you know, paying attention to other people. And I think, you know, that was an initial thing, like I, as a trans person, like worrying about going into the men's bathrooms, right. Um, is like, Will I be safe? Will I, you know, can I go in? Like my my concern isn't now. Is somebody going to say something to me when I come in? It's going to be: is that one single stall going to be open so that I can go to the bathroom? <laughs> so, yeah, I think that there's a lot in there. So it's like an opposite because it's like as a trans man in men's sports, there's almost like a welcoming. Maybe not a well. Maybe no one's rolling out a red carpet for you, but they're just like, okay, you do you, like. Like man to man, right? Like how they yeah. say, handle it like a man and beat me on the court. Oh, you beat me? Okay, you're a man. You know what I mean? But it's interesting because it's not that way if you, for cis men, you know, uh, who view trans women, like they just view them as men. And there's not like, a, it's still like man to man, like come beat me. If you want to beat someone who's on your level, come beat me. And this is a lot of the work that you did even within mm. the Olympics, right? Um, just like making it so that trans people can compete. Um, the the trans woman powerlifter, I mean, you're the big reason she was even, you are the reason she was able to compete this last year, correct? Yeah, the policy, you know, the policy change that permitted her was because I challenged it in 2015. Let's be clear, she did all the work to get there. She left in those right. things. You, you know, came like, over uh, and <laughs> rubbed her feet after. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and you know, I, I'm I'm so incredibly proud of that. I've said since I came out in in 2010 that I want to make it easier for every trans person who comes after me and uh, in challenging the policy in 2015, getting it changed to remove the surgery requirement, lower the hormone requirements and, and be a little more accessible for trans people. Um, not for trans people who are socially transitioning necessarily, but for people making a medical transition, 
um, you know, I, so I've been, can I just ask clarification one. about, mm -hmm. so what was it that changed? Cause I, I'm yeah, not so familiar exactly. Yeah. Previously the international Olympic committee created a policy called the Stockholm consensus in 2003. And what that was, it said that any trans person who wanted to participate in the Olympic games or anything that the Olympics governed. So the IOC policy, international Olympic committee policy, uh, had to have a full lower surgery, so meaning internal and external genital modification in order to participate in sports, and then had to be on hormones for two years and be within a certain range of, of uh, testosterone levels for trans women and be on hormones for two years for trans men with no sort of requirements. So in challenging that, I wanted them to, to remove the surgery requirement. So they ended up removing the surgery requirement. So it's, they said it's a human rights violation. No athlete should have to modify their mm. body in order to participate in sports. Uh, the second thing was they reduced the wait time from two years to one year um, with a, a specific number on the testosterone level for trans women. And then they reduced the requirement to no, no hormone requirement for trans men. So even trans men making a social transition could participate with men. And this sort of goes back to that idea that, you know, someone assigned female at birth is not a threat to cisgender men. So they, they were like, yeah, whatever. If a trans guy wants to be with men, go for it. Yeah. Good luck. Who yes. do you, like, how does it start? Cause you know, this, this changed at the IOC level. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct. So how do you, so if somebody's out there listening be like, I want to make change in my local school zone, you know, or whatever, like, where do you go? Like, how did you start going down this path to create this change? Who did you speak to first or how long did yeah. this, like this process go on for? That's a great question. I mean, I'm still, I'm still working on this process because there are no uniform universal policies in sports. And so there are still states like Texas where Aiden's at, that he mentioned at the beginning that has done two special sessions. Now this legislative session and actually just announced a third one on September 20th, which is bringing back the trans sports bill to try for a fifth time or a sixth time now to, to pass this bill. So, um, you know, these, this is still an active process for me, but how did I, how did I start it in 2010 when I was coming out? I just like, didn't see policies out there and I still wanted to participate in sports. And I knew that I wanted to participate at a high level. And so I started with my local organizations. I mean, it, it was a very personal thing initially of like, how can I play? Because we know lesbian, gay, bisexual people in sport have, have long had this idea that sport is not a safe space for them. Mm -hmm. And we often hear about combating homophobia in sports, you know, in professional sports with slurs and things like that. But there was no conversation about transition and, and transitioning categories prior to that. So, you know, I, I just wrote to my organizations, my national governing bodies, my local races that I was participating in and said, here's my situation. I want to transition categories and, and race authentically. How can I do that? And that process was uh, painful. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was slow. It was um, invasive. Uh, people didn't know what to do with me. And I you know, wrote to one person and suddenly found myself forwarded eight times on a chain of 45 people you know, outed mm. at an organization. And you know, I didn't know how to, to manage that process personally and deal with that. But also, you know, I, I very quickly realized that I'm not the only trans person who likes sports. And, and maybe there's an opportunity to use my experience to change the uh, sport world for the better. And so that was what was the catalyst then for transathlete.com, which I made in 2013 to sort of 
pull in all of the policies that are out there so that, uh, you know, uh, your local softball organization, you know, bar league, kickball or whatever could go to the page and see what policies are out there and see what would apply to them and, and what's good and what's bad and, and sort of distill all of that. So that's, um, how the process works. And, and for people who want to make change, you know, I would say start at transathlete.com, see the policies that are out there, see similar levels of play, competitiveness, um, regions. So there are different policies in different states, um, professional policies versus youth policies, and use that as a starting point. And then, you know, there are a lot of resources on there to help people make policies as well. Awesome. Thank you. And all these links will be linked up at the state of men dot com forward slash podcast and you can find your show notes there so much work like end of day just to just to compete and what you see now is just you know the they're you know starting at the bottom and not letting the kids play then you're not going to have olympians that are trans yeah. because they'll have never you know that's where you start right or like probably not everyone, but you start at a younger age, you find what you love and you keep doing it. Right. I can't imagine my life without my sports and the sports I played. And I still, as an adult, like I consider myself like sporty. Right. But I'm like not in any sports. I just like lift and I'm like, that's my sport. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because it makes Mm -hmm. me feel some kind of way. Um, And I have tried, I joined a men's sports team. I waited a long time. I wanted to make sure I had top surgery and make sure that I would feel safe. Um, and it was not that much fun. Um, it was just. What did you join? It, it was a flag football team that felt more like a, I'm going to hit you, but not that hard because we don't have equipment type of team. <laughs> right. Um, and it just like was it just what it felt like was I was with all of the guys who didn't make it in something that they did, whether it was like. They were good in middle school and they didn't make it in high school. They were good in high school. They didn't make it in college. They were in college. They didn't make it a pro. And then they just like needed to prove something on the field. And I played like four times. I got the shit beat out of me. Not because I was like the smallest, scrawniest person, but just because I was like, oh, okay, like we're going to bump up. But and then like I'm on the floor and I'm like, what just happened? Like we're like we're literally in a high school field alone. There's like 12 of us. Like who like there's no one even in the stands to impress. Like what are we doing here? To the point that I just was like, I kept coming home and like beat up. And I was like, this isn't like, I want to come. I want to like go have camaraderie. Like I love competition. I love to compete. Yeah. People are going to like accidentally push too hard and you might fall and get hurt. But it's like, it wasn't like a, let me help you back up. It was like, uh, you know, it was very, uh, like, again, it felt like there was something to prove. Now I know that this isn't all of them, but it was my biggest fear kind of coming true, which was like, you're going to go out there and get like just tossed around so to speak um yeah so i think you know i think my situation is a little different but it might be flag football right so like my sports i would say you know mike you asked how my experience has been and i would say that largely that's been influenced by the types of sports that i do and so you know i started off in running and then moved to triathlon uh and duathlon which is very closely affiliated with triathlon and then i was in race walking for the olympic trials and and like you know, I was joking that I couldn't have picked a more queer sports than race walking. Um, not, that, not that there are queer people who are doing it, just like it's right. in terms of, you know. Um, Visually, but, it looks very funny. Yes, 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 yeah. absolutely. And so, you there's know, a lot of my, rules, apparently. 
Yes. There are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of rules. But, you know, in running, I find that the egos in running are not the same egos that are in team sports. And that's and that's a big mm. thing, right? So one of the cool things about being a multi-sport athlete was that I was able to train with people and I am still able to train with people if I want to, but ultimately competition is individual. And mm. that's the way that it mostly works. And and so that has been a, a benefit to me because on times where I'm not feeling as confident or safe because of whatever reason, I can train alone and and still be able to and, and still be able to race, you know, alone um, and, and not feel uh, that sort of toxic environment that is often affiliated with sports. Like that's I think that's the reason your experience is the reason that queer people stay out of sports. Um, when we look at statistics of youth playing sports, 68% of all youth, so everyone plays plays sports. And that's a, you know, a pretty substantial number, but only 24% of LGBTQ youth play sports. And then if we drill down into trans people, 14% of trans boys and 12% of trans girls play sport. And so then you look, you know, 88% of transgender girls don't think that sport is a safe space for them or don't want to play sports. Right. And, and yet, you know, the state of Texas is coming back for a third special session to try to ban zero trans girls from playing sports with their teams. Right. And so, you know, it's, it, 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 it highlights some of what you were just saying, Aiden, about the environment of sport, what we think the environment of sport is, what it actually is, which sometimes mm-hmm. does align with those negative ideas and you know the the fact that we have a lot of work to do yeah wow Next i have a question rain, about race walking stats yeah just i was i have a question about race walk race walking does that does it like hurt i mean like walk like is there injuries <laughs> happening i know of playing sport you're getting injured all the time i mean i fell in my parking garage and broke my kneecap so it's like <laughs> what, what, the sport was parking the car or <laughs> I was, no, was the first time I was on my mountain bike in six months. And then I turned a corner and hit a painted arrow on the ground and landed directly on my knee. So, you know, you're having a situation, but like, because it, it's like, it seems like an unnatural fluid body movement in that way. Yeah. I mean, I would say race walking is much harder than running. Uh, at least for me, um, it's a, it's very technique based. So it's very much similar to swimming, in my opinion, that you have to constantly be thinking about body position mm. and checking yourself to stay in compliance with the rules. And for me, you know, I, I, I picked up race walking after 10 years of, of being a triathlete uh, you know, and, and being out. And I sustained two major injuries <laughs> in the in the lead up to the Olympic trials. One was a torn meniscus um, from, I think, from landing with a straight leg, um, just the impact. And then um, and then I just recently had hip surgery. Uh, one, um, today's one month out from hip surgery. And I think that that was also a overuse injury. And, you know, I can't say it was specifically from race walking. Right. I did 10 hard years of competition before that. And so there's probably something in there, too. But, um, yeah, I think that it's... Uh, like who knew walking was so dangerous <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean mike knows like getting out of your parking garage can be dangerous so yeah this why i mean there is there's so much fear around injury of stuff like you know it's like don't you yeah. i'm like you just walk out your front door and trip over your the step or some kid's toy and you know i, I had now now 
Yeah, it's one. I had this surgery. I had a lump like behind my right nipple once, and so they it was this mass buildup, this fatty mass buildup. But the guy told me he sees almost the one very high pr- surgeries that he does are broken noses and repair noses. The plastic surgeon because kids are jacking their heads back and hit their parents in the nose. And so that they have happens. to reconstruct their nose. <laughs> That's a real thing. And so I, I think our firstborn is now six. She was probably six months old at that point. So anytime I, she comes close to me, I'm like backing my head up because, <laughs> and then you get hit. Sometimes our youngest just whacks you, you know, but he said there's a lot of parents who just get whacked in the nose with the kid's head. So, you know, it's like a, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so, so go ahead. You're going to say something. No, go ahead, Aiden. Okay. I wanted to know, I wanted to know Chris, like, so we're friends. So I know that like you came on cause you're my friend. You're like, Oh, Aiden, you're doing something. I'll help you out. What's going on. You want to, you want me to interview me? Awesome. And like, I'm really just curious, like if it wasn't me, you know what I mean? Like what drew you to coming on to the state of men, given like, you know, what we talk about masculinity, just like all of these things, like, is there, what drew you in? Is there something that you know, you feel connected to within your masculinity, something that you want to see changed or realigned within masculinity, because you are pretty, you know, and of course, correct me if I'm stating this wrong, but you're like a, a binary man, right? So like you appear masculine, you're, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm just kind of curious about that. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't you, I probably <laughs> wouldn't have responded so fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's what no, that blue I, check and friendship equals. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, you know, what I, I am pretty drawn to the topic, and I think it's been something I've been thinking about more and more over the last several years, because when I'm reflecting on my own experience, as I often do because I'm a speaker too, right? So, you know, for the last four or five years, I've traveled the, the world sharing my story as an out trans athlete. And part of that talks about my transition and, in, in telling that story and trying to think about what's the highlights, what are the key pieces that I, that I feel are important for other people to know as I'm going, you know, as I'm sharing this, like what will be uh, the most impactful, what can they connect with, uh, even if they're not trans, you know, what does that look like in, in storytelling and story sharing? And a lot of things have come up as I've been sort of digging through and trying to craft my story. And it's been these sort of repressed memories about how I created myself and in the trans community, there's often, uh, you know, the, the phrase self-made man. And mm-hmm. that never sat right with me um, because I am, a, because I wouldn't personally describe myself as that, right? So like I am the influence, I'm the byproduct of all these other influences in my life. And and I didn't make myself, right? Like, you know, my partner had a huge piece in, in helping to shape me, my parents, my environment, my sports teams, all of that. So you know, for me, um, I get the idea of self-made man, like not cis man, right? But uh, I, I was thinking about all of these influences, and and when I first transitioned, and I think this this story is the is the sort of key of why I feel drawn to be on a podcast like this and talk about masculinity is that when I transitioned, it was very important for me to be seen as a man, to be addressed with he, him pronouns, to be able to make my way into men's spaces where I felt like I belonged. 
and and to try to also protect myself at the same time. And there was certainly a period of time where I didn't uh, 100% of the time um, pass in those spaces and and get read as as uh, you know as a man and get referred to as he or him. And so I think that I overcompensated, right? <laughs> and I think this is sometimes a common experience in, in the trans masculine community of transition of, of like, I thought that there was a certain type of way that I should show up in men's spaces so that people saw me as a man. And a lot of that was like way far over into the stereotypical, like, like stoic, you know, I'm not smiling in any photos. I'm, you know, hard and um, devoid of emotions and, you know, and I think this is also part of the folklore of taking testosterone of people being like, yeah, I used to be able to cry and now I don't cry at all because I'm on T. And I'm like, dude, I, I still cry all the time. Like, that's not part, that's not like a, a mandatory part of being a man is not crying, right? But like, we internalize all of these messages as trans people from what we see in the media, from what our parents and our families have, have shown us um, to think that there's a certain type of way to be a man. And so I went like far over that way and then realized like this actually doesn't fit this isn't the person that i wanted to be this isn't the person that i know that i am and then i started to feel more comfortable with myself and could sort of like settle back in you know like mm. going from a time where there's like there's no way i will wear lavender or pink right <laughs> like to be like now i'm like i'm painting my nails and and being like all right well you know this is the man that i am right so um yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot to talk about in the experience of the uniqueness of the trans experience of of sort of seeing the world from our two binary sides mm-hmm. and um, and realizing that there's so much space for people to exist in the middle of those spaces. Um, and many people do exist there. And the stereotypes and the, the sort of myths and misconceptions about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, um, you know, I think that we can pick those apart and people will be a lot happier. I mean, so Mike, I have a question for you because I've ex- everything Chris said is what I've experienced. Also, it's like just going to this hyper toxic masculinity to just be like fit in to not be to feel safe. That's what I always attributed it to. I just wanted to be safe. I wanted to be acknowledged and seen for who I was. And so if I over extended myself mm-hmm. then it was like there's no way you're gonna think i'm a girl because i'm never wear pink i talk like this like you know what i mean um and even now i do sometimes catch myself if i'm trying to be assertive with an individual i lower my voice tone just a little bit I'm just you know and it just i don't know it's just it it's still just one of those things that's like embedded in a grain that i'm trying to just be like flush rid myself of but mike do you do you relate to anything that chris is saying having grown up as a cis guy entering like you know if you went to a i I don't know something stereotypical you went to purdue right like a frat house like would Mm -hmm. you feel like you did any of those things that chris expressed does that work though i'll answer your question does it work when you lower your voice like that and it does. Like, I'm going to show you the way. Well, I don't say like this. I don't say like this. I just like, like if a random guy comes up to me and asks me a question yeah. and I don't know them and I need to feel a safety, I Got will it. just kind of, instead of just being like, hey, what's up? I'll be like, can I help you? Like, it'll just be more Got like, okay. you know. And you know, that and you're doing it like in purpose. With, pers- you're doing it consciously. Uh, yes. Is that right? I am yeah. doing yeah, I'm doing okay. it consciously 
but unconsciously. Like it just happens. Yes. And then I catch myself and I'm like, oh, that was a safety tool that I used to use that's Got coming it. back up right now. Does this happen to you yeah, too? I, yeah, you know what? I think it really, it, it's been a while since I've like sort of thought and caught myself in that. Like there are some times where uh, even my posture will change. Right. And, yes. and like, and I think that's, that's part of it. If I'm on public transportation and a group of cis men come in and, you know, suddenly I'm like, right. I'm, I'm up a okay. little bit taller. So, the, the fuck you, fuck you face. Like, <laughs> um, but I also experienced this at the start of COVID-19 where everybody started to wear masks. And, and I started to have like this real internal sense of panic of being uh, misgendered with a mm. mask on. And so I mm. think that part of that was also, um, you know, and the mustache is a very new acquisition and that is not what, you know, it <laughs> looks I think fabulous by the way. <laughs> Thank you. And, and, and I mean, here's another thing, right? Like, and Mike, I do want to hear if, if this resonates with you also, but, um, you know, I, I, for a very long time, didn't have facial hair and, and couldn't grow facial hair. And so, you know, this took me 10 years to get a, a suitable mustache, which is phenomenal now, but, you know, I, I wasn't less of a man without a mustache, you know, or without facial hair, but when I, when I had it and then shaved it away, I started to feel real panic that I wouldn't be um, as welcomed or accepted in men's spaces. And, and so that's mm. been an interesting thing with the masks on, you know, of suddenly just like seeing somebody's eyes and feeling um, a, a real sense of like, will I be safe? Can I navigate the, the world in the same way? And then I think to Aiden's point that some of the posture things then and the voice things then, um, I caught myself doing more during that that time of being masked because I wanted to be assured <laughs> that mm -hmm. I was going to be okay. It happened today when I was at the gym and I was going into the bathroom. I I was looking up and so a guy made eye contact with me and I put my head down and then I said, don't put your head down, put your head back up. And I put my head back up and I was like, I'm going to keep walking with my head straight and my eyes here because if I have my head, like that is like a, I don't know, you know, way of showing like he has more power over me because I'm going to like, you know, uh, he's more alpha maybe or something like mm. that. And it's all in mm -hmm. a, in a millisecond. It's not like I'm like, right. but I do have these, these kind of thoughts. So, okay. Mike. No, I it's really, there is an element that I experienced that as well, but not from the, not in the same way in that stamp you know like going into because i never played football growing up you know so i never thought i think from that standpoint is like oh that's where i'll like you could say the real men they go and play football i played baseball and basketball so it was a little bit of a different but it, i would say that's the way i looked at it for myself and it's funny because you know aiden always when we originally started doing this podcast he was like we need to talk about masculinity and i was like i don't freaking even know what that is you know, like I had to go look up the definition of what masculinity is and like, and understand. And for, I think with this one for months talking to you, Aiden, I was like, why the, I would talk to Kate, my wife. I'd be like, why the hell? I don't understand the masculinity piece. Like, I don't get it. Cause it's not something I ever really thought about in that term, you know, and Aiden mm -hmm. will always talk to me about masculinity. He's like masculinity, this, then I was like, I don't, it doesn't connect. It doesn't connect with me. But I think trying to fit into different environments, that kind of connects with me and then how that backtracks into my own masculinity and me showing up because I've never really thought about it. I never was in discussions around this. I never, you know, I read Lewis Howes' Lewis Howes's book, The Mask of Masculinity and read those, but that it wasn't a conversation that I was 
having on a regular basis about, and with my guys, like I'm like with guy friends, it'd be like, do you feel masculine or how do you describe your masculinity? Now I'm having more, getting more insight from them around this because since we started doing this project, but for me, it was, it was more of the, I get the, the deeper, the voice thing. I've never changed my voice tone, but definitely posture, walking into environments, wanting to feel, you know, it's like you go into, it's like the weirdness of you like sit at a urinal and you're there and you're like, that guy's got a bigger dick than me. Like this whole, con you know, it's like this conversation goes through your head and you're like what this looks like and how you don't talk to anybody. You just stand there and you're looking straight ahead at the wall. Right. And it's, it's, it's a much different experience than like Kate goes to the bathroom with her friends and like they're chatting. Right. They're she tells me, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't happen in, you know, guys' bathrooms. So I think it, it's just, it's like a same dynamic that you're experiencing, but just from a different form. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of it from the programming bringing up to the, it's like not man enough, or you're not doing these things enough or real men are like fixing the cars, you know, and you have to know how to take apart an engine and put it back together and realizing as I've gotten older, I was like, oh, no, there's experts that do this. I can just make more money and pay them to come over and do that stuff. And then I don't have to worry <laughs> about it. Right. So it's like a different type of thinking that I had to fix everything or do everything as the man of the house and the supportiveness of that. And as the emotions of it's like, you don't show the emotions or we're not emotional in that way. And and so, yeah, I mean, I have elements of it, but it was just different than kind of what you two described. Yeah. And I love that because I think, you know, what you just described as a cis man is really spot on that in, in a lot of ways, like for me as a white person, I never thought about my whiteness until yeah. there were instances or, in, you know, issues or situations of, of racism, of anti-blackness specifically that forced me to think about my experience as a white person. And prior to that, I navigated the world not thinking about it, right? And I think that's right. very much the same as your experience as a cis man of like ex navigating the world, just doing what you do, not thinking about the, the masculinity piece where I can assure you that every woman around you and every trans person around you was absolutely thinking about your masculinity and how you were showing up and or right. weren't showing up and how it compared to other people and things like that so um but it's it's i think it's cool that you're having these conversations and i also think that maybe being a parent uh helps to highlight some of of that or, or bring up um this the, the ideas around masculinity and i don't know if you would agree with that or not but you know i think um from what I can see, you know, Aiden shares a lot of his family life on, on Instagram and um, also, you know, sees things through the lens of masculinity and, and how he fits in. But um, having these conversations with young people, right. Or, or like, how do you show up? Are you showing your child that it's okay for you to have emotions, mm. mm -hmm. you know, and not just when you get smashed in the back of the, uh, with the back of the head in the nose, right. Like, like right. how, how, what does that look like? And, and how, um, because they're watching your your performance of masculinity and, and yeah. engaging, you know, other other men by the standards of you. Right. I always thought it was, you know, because I hear this a lot with ki kids for sure. They, I mean, this the biggest teacher, you know, for me has been a huge reflection on how I'm showing up. Where, you know, my six year old will be like, "Dad, you're mad at me," and I'm like, "Well, actually, I'm not mad at you. It's just." But it's the same type of thing how my wife would tell me the um, you're being grumpy or you're at it. You know, it's your attitude where I'm not actually feeling it's just the the tone or the coming across that way. 
So it's like how to show up a little bit different. But even in sports, I mean, the, the dynamic of existing in, because t- I played a lot more team sports than individuals, the dynamic of team sports is you're just cussed at and yelled at all the time about your suck and you're not doing a good enough job and you have to do better and you have to do this and you lose one game. I mean, all you have to do is spend some time watching the those football documentaries, I think on HBO or Showtime, where it's like in mm-hmm. the locker room. These are grown humans, right? These are grown men on a team sport being screamed at by an older 45, 50-year-old man, like being cussed at. I'm like... This is not motivating, right? Like who's going to get motivated in this form? But that happens so much as a young, I mean, one of my biggest traumatic experiences playing baseball was being taken off the field because I was catching and the guy hit the batter, hit my glove twice in the same inning. And the coach literally pulled me out. And I thought I was the biggest failure of all time, you know, and Mm -hmm. from there in a publicly humiliated on the field of play. So I think as you know, I start putting these pieces together and realizing, well, that's the way I have to coach or that's the way I have to teach somebody. And with kids, it's been this reflection for them to me where it's like, I can be a softer, let's say a softer human and kinder human to like my kids. And they will respect that a little bit better than me, like screaming at them. Then they're terrified. Right. And sometimes it happens like they're exhausting. Right. I'm exhausting as a human. Right. Like so things happen. But it's been interesting to notice my six year olds. My three year old doesn't it's not as vocal at this moment with that experience. And my six year old is definitely more of the vocal standpoint in that to be like, oh, you're mad at me or how what has happened in society or rooms or wherever they're at now because they're in school. Right. So it's like what that reflection is bringing home for it. Um, but it, it's just a constant now that I'm more aware of it, I see it more like exactly what you shared from this perspective of being a white guy in this world. And now that the awareness is there, you can't really turn it off right. anymore. Right. It's like, it's, you can turn it off, but it's not going to feel good. You know, I can be like, Oh, I just right. ignore that. Cause it always, <laughs> it's, you know, it's like you open that can, you can't close the can. And that's also the exhausting. The toothpaste is not going back in the tube. The right. And it's also to be like, <laughs> I wish I could just operate in the world where it's like, I don't have that lens to be like, I just want to navigate and it's more peaceful and useful. But is it really? I don't think so. Right. But right. it is the, yeah, it's like once that can is open, you just can't stop. You just can't stop. Yeah. That's, I mean, thanks for sharing that. That's super interesting. And I think that's why I'm so fascinated by these conversations because all of what you just shared, like you're, you're like, yeah, I I do yell sometimes because they're exhausting. Right. And that's a conditioning thing. I think that, you know, when I think about, so those adult coaches that I had when I was a young person who yelled at us because they thought that that was the way to discipline us or to get the message across. Right. I did not find that motivating, like you said, (laughs) Um, but I did learn that adults yell, that adult men, uh, cis men yell, and that anger is part of their expression. Um, You know, I think back to childhood moments that, you know, can pop up of being like, uh, so in this hip injury, I I realized that I'm like really severely traumatized by an incident, incident that happened with my eighth grade basketball coach where I hurt my shoulder and was like yeah. sort of kicked off the team. Mm-hmm. And so like, instead of, instead of in, when I was in a sling, you know, instead of being told to come to practice, to still be with the team, to have that team dynamic as I recovered, they just stopped in, like, I just wasn't allowed to go to games. I wasn't allowed to go to practices. I was just done. 
And I, I realized that just in the last week that some of the trauma that I'm feeling around my hip injury and being so isolated in my recovery is related to being in eighth grade. And just like you just shared that story of the, of being pulled off the, the field in, you know, as a, as a catcher, like that, how many years ago was that Mike? That was <laughs> like, this is not recent, like, but no. this is a memory that sticks with you. Right. <laughs> And so all of these things are ingrained in our minds of like the shame and the, and the um, embarrassment that we feel at the hands of adults and, and oftentimes men, right? And mm-hmm. so I think that that plays into how we want to show up in the world and um, what we think that we should show up as. You know, it could be positive or negative. We either say, I don't ever want to be the person who yells at my kids because my dad was an asshole, or <laughs> you become that person because that's what you've been trained to do, right? And so we're in this really interesting situation with hyper-awareness around masculinity. Um, a couple of years ago, I was in a Bonobos ad that was talking about masculinity and redefining masculinity um, and the definition of masculinity. I mean, it was very much your experience of, I don't even know how to define it. Like, I can tell you what it's not, <laughs> but I'm not sure I could tell you what it is, right? Um, and and so just to be able to have these space, to have these conversations, I think is really uh, a really awesome thing that you two are doing. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy that you came and yeah. And like, you know, I think to be respectful of your time and stuff like, and to just kind of end on this note of like both parties here, trans and cis, like Mike yours, it sounded like it was just more like you didn't think about it, but, but there was a thought in there. It just wasn't at the front. Mm -hmm. It was like, Oh, this is what I do because I'm a man. But the because I'm a man maybe wasn't so prevalent because you right. were just born this way. You relate to your body that everything's fine. You're just like, oh, this is what I do. And like I was for Chris like, and I, of the greater. So if we break it down to like, you know, it's like I'm not trying to fit into the giant group. I'm like trying to fit into the smaller groups, if that makes mm-hmm. right. And so I think uh-huh. kind of your stories were just like I'm trying to fit into the giant group first, and then yeah, break. You know, if that makes right. sense. Mm-hmm. Right. No, it does. It's like, you know, and now it sounds like Chris and I both are like, hey, like we don't have to fit into the giant. We can kind of hone right. into the man that we are and find other men who relate to that and stuff. And so, but either way, the the thread is like, how do I as a man like show up in this world in a safe and uh, you know, in a safe way and in a way that will be respected by other men? Right. And so it's like, and that's where I think the breakdown like really is the best. Like, that's where I feel like this podcast is like leading us to. It's like breaking that down and just like getting into that nitty, nasty, gritty. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. Aiden, as you were saying that, you know, like Mike, that's such a spot on uh, way to say it. Like, we were trying to fit into the broader group of men, right? First. And then, find our find our smaller groups and you know i think it's important to say that our smaller groups can change over time Mm -hmm. as well because we all should be evolving and changing like if i'm the same person that i was 10 years ago i am doing a huge disservice to myself by not evolving and changing and growing in this world and i think about aiden your experience and just how open you've been about your men's health cover experience and and that time period of being super fitness thinking that you had to to look a certain way or be a certain way but your unhappiness in, in living that, that way, mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> right. And, and how, you know, and how like your connection to fitness has changed and evolved over time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love that you share so much of that openly, because I think that's, that's exactly it. It's to say, 
um, you know, as a, as there's not just one way to be a man, there's not one way to be a cis man or a trans man or to be a person and that we all should be, you know, growing, changing and evolving over time. And that means that the group that we're affiliated with might also, you know, the, how we find our subgroups and connect to people might also change. And that's okay. Like we can allow ourselves to change. Right. It doesn't make us less of less men. You know, it just means that we are a different type of man. And I think that, um, 10 years ago, I didn't see people having these conversations. Five years ago, I didn't really see people having these conversations. And I love that this is part of our conversation now, that it gives us the space to change, to grow, to evolve, to become different types of men. Um, that I don't think that I want to, to be um, accepted by men. I don't want to, like, I, I want to be the best person that I can be. And, mm-hmm. and, and when you said um, that, to be accepted or like uh, affirmed by other men. I don't know that all cis men are ready to have this conversation. And for some of them, I'm not interested. We know in they're not, they're not. Yeah. All <laughs> yeah. have that I was just, I think it's <laughs> trying to be nice I was just being in generous, general. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily want acceptance and affirmation from all men because what they would accept and affirm, I am just not a fan of, like I refuse to denigrate women. I refuse to talk um, to, to throw trans women under the bus. I refuse to, um, you know, to implement the, the racist standards by which black women are held versus white women. Like I, I, I won't support that. And so I don't need affirmation from all men. I just want to show up and be the best person that I can be. And I, you know, I happen to be a a man in this world of trans experience. And I think it's Mm -hmm. a interesting lens to, to see the world with and, I think it's a gift. It's a, it is kind of a privilege to, to, to be transgender. Well, it's, it's hard. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> it's challenging. Uh, it doesn't always feel safe. I think it's been an incredible gift in terms of my reflections on masculinity, femininity, the gender mm. binary and how we all show up in this world. I love that. It's beautiful. So last question, Mike, do you want to ask the question? Do you remember what the question is? I don't he's remember very, what the question is. He's not very good at this thing. I try, I try to set him up, and he's always like, I didn't know you were throwing we, the ball. We, we talked about this a while ago, and then I moved to Miami and forgot what the last question is. What's the last question, Aiden? Well, no, the last question for Chris was the the question. It was like the first oh, thing you no. said. You're like, I really want to ask him why he no, has the. No, I don't the, care. The, that, was the, the, that was not my last of, question. Well, yeah, I want to know now because you have the – the Chris Mosier, what's what's up with the the? <laughs> um, Are you proclaiming, yeah, yeah, proclamation. Um, what I had so before I transitioned, I had a different Twitter account, and I wasn't um, Instagram was not around. I didn't I didn't have a Facebook prior to transition, uh-huh. uh, like really. Um, so I'm and I'm grateful for both of those things. <laughs> I am happy that that's not out there, but. Um, I had a Twitter account and it was a different name. And when I decided to change the name from, you know, something like Alliance Fear to, to <laughs> my name. Right. Um, I wish I could I do think that. Chris Mosier was taken. And so I did the Chris Mosier just kind of jokingly oh, and right. it was available. And, and now then, it's here. And then this I just decided it. to be uniform and I realized how incredibly like pompous that sounds. <laughs> I, I <laughs> but mean, then I started to see other people do it too. Yeah. And I, and I kind of laughed because you know, as I had some friends who, who then got social media accounts and put the in front of their name, I was like, that's funny. That's there definitely because of me. <laughs> I love that's it. Great. 
Well, thanks for coming on, Chris. We appreciate you. Oh, where can people you. find more about you? We've talked about that yeah. already, but as we close mm -hmm. out. I was... Yeah. yeah. Please, um, for anybody who's interested in fighting the anti-trans legislation that's sweeping the country and will be coming back next year, or interested in learning more about policies and best practices for trans and non-binary people in sport, please go to transathlete.com. And I'm on all the social medias at the Chris the. Mosher. Yes, the... <laughs> and if you want to hire Chris and pay him to come speak, you can also go to thechrismosier.com, right? Yes, that's right. Thank awesome. you. Great. Of course. Thanks so much for having you on. Thanks for... Oh, sorry. And getting notifications that Antler used the potty. That's a good a good thing. That's a good thing to end on. So um, thanks for coming on, Chris. Appreciate you. Um, and thanks, everyone, for listening. We will put all of uh, Chris's information in the show notes. And as always, we appreciate y'all. And we will catch you in the next episode.